Lesson one, basic hip. Hello to Jason Isaacs. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is sponsored by Matt Rock, Murat Verdi, and Nicholas Payton. This is episode 354. Thanks to the Respect Sextet for the theme music to this show. They're online at respectsextet.com. Thanks also to Dave Rabel, who designed the show's logo. He is online at twitter.com slash Rabel, V-R-A-B-E-L. All About Jazz carries this show on their website, and they've got a widget that you can put on your site, and it will display the latest episode of the Jazz Session. Many people have already done that. If you do it, let me know, because I'll mention you in my newsletter. You can get the widget by going to allaboutjazz.com and typing in Jazz Session Widget in the search box, and you can get the newsletter by going to thejazzsession.com and clicking on Mailing List. And while you're there, please do become a member. The show is free to listen to, but it is not free to make. And it would be great if you would help me defray the costs of keeping myself alive by becoming a member of the Jazz Session. Today's guest is a trumpet player from Ottawa. And you may think, now how did I possibly come across a trumpet player from Ottawa? Well, there's actually been another person from Ottawa on this show, Renee Oxen, and it was through Renee that I met Craig Peterson, today's guest. He has a new album called Days Like Today, which I really dig, and I think you're going to enjoy this conversation and also the music. Here's some music from Craig Peterson and then my chat with Craig. My guest is uh, Ottawa-based trumpeter Craig Peterson, and his newest CD is called Days Like Today. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm interested in this record, which is a real blend of uh, some what sounds like pretty complex composed material in some places, a lot of kind of cool rhythmic uh, and melodic counterpoint and interesting experimentation with what sounds, on the other hand, like a lot of places where people just have freedom to do whatever occurs to them. And I'm, I'm wondering about the, the blend there and how you kind of approach the creation of the music on this record. Well, um, all of the tracks on the recording are pieces. There's no like free heads or anything like sure. that. But what happens is, uh, instead of the kind of the traditional head, here's the chords for blowing, head out sort of uh, way. The improvised sections are often based on sets of rules and guidelines or or choices. And so there are some tunes, uh, for instance, the first tune, the title track, The Baron, which is just a blues, and it's a blues that's kind of based off of um, Duke Ellington's what, Such Sweet Thunder, only it's in an odd meter, it's in 5-4. And what happens in this track um, is I set up a narrative that I wanted to happen for the blowing section, which was basically it was going to start with the saxophone and the and the bass. And then after a chorus, the drums come in, and then it gets a little bit looser, and then the trumpet comes in and it gets looser again, and then, you know, the next chorus, the bass starts soloing, and the next chorus after that, the the drummer starts to to blow as well 
until it gets to this point where kind of all sense of the form is lost and and then um as quickly as I realize it's completely gone, I try and snap it back in so we can play the head out. And I think it's a, that track is a good example of what I'm trying to go for, which is some sort of narrative structure or form, uh, some sort of storytelling in most of the tracks, whether it be um, through kind of traditional harmonic means or through kind of just taking any ideas and moving them somewhere. And and why do you do it that way? What are you what are you a, a trying to achieve in the sound of the band or in the way your compositions flow by doing these kind of narrative? Well, improvisational sections. Uh, I really, it's like I really enjoy literature and and reading and and every once in a while you'll read a book with a narrative form that that just defies all other narrative forms. And in particular, I read this really funny mystery novel called um, Icelander by this author Dustin Long, and it's really funny because what he does in it is it's kind of like a meta story within a story within a story sort of thing. But he has these two kind of, I think they're called uh, existential detectives or something like this, who throughout the whole course of the the story have these, these little asides where they talk about different narrative structures and different narrative forms. And they're talking about the difference between like masculine and feminine narrative forms traditionally and, and and different ways to kind of build to the climax in a story and get away from it uh and maybe starting in different places of the story and how that impacts the storytelling and so i really wanted to bring that into into my music because uh traditional jazz has never been kind of my strong point or my my deep interest <laughs> Was there some moment or some person in your life that started to expand your horizons as a writer and a player, kind of beyond what we consider the more traditional strictures? Sure. My my music degree, my undergrad was in classical trumpet playing and music education, and my master's was in classical trumpet playing as well. But I think the interesting thing about my undergrad is that it, it was never one or the other in terms of of contemporary music or 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 classical like traditional classical or or contemporary uh, jazz or or traditional jazz music really what it was about which I think is really neat it's like I played in in big band I played in a brass quintet that met twice a week I played in the orchestra I played in the wind ensemble I played in the contemporary music ensemble I had trumpet lessons with somebody who was uh, formerly of New York in the 70s, who um, played with the Philharmonic here in the 70s and toured with the American Brass Quintet and, and, and stuff like that, and so was really into new music. Uh, and I played in I played bass in a jazz quintet or sextet sometimes. And so for me, it was never really one or the other. So when I started to write music, I kind of went towards trying to represent things that I saw in front of me and, and um, on a day-to-day -day basis and then not worrying about what it sounded like, you know. I think that that was really important for me.
talking about um, narrative structure and uh, and people who use interesting narrative structure, there's a, a track on here called Man Eating Cats, which I know is inspired by uh, Murakami yeah. short story. Yeah. Um, and I'm interested in how you get from getting to some point in that short story where the appearance of the man-eating cats is obviously kind of an arresting moment and how you get from there to now there's a track on your record that is somehow derived from that experience. Well, what was really interesting about that track is that the, the title of the track and the kind of feeling of the, the track, the overall kind of vibe of it, they don't really match up because, um, the title is taken from what could be considered um, the climax, or right, right before the climax of of the the story in, in Murakami's story. But the image that I drew, but the image that I took from from it was the first few pages, which is this opening scene where there's this couple who have both. Uh, fallen. They had fallen in love in Japan, and they were both married and had, and one of them had a kid. And at some point, they decided we're gonna give this a shot. And they kind of came out to their family, their families, and because they realized that they had the kind of love that was just like, this is it. Uh, it wasn't complicated, and they got along, and they could just be with each other. And and so they came out to their families and and they were disowned. And so they exiled themselves to a Greek island where with their savings they could probably live for five years or something like that. And the opening scene is kind of with all this within the context it's of the story of, of the context of the backstory, is that they're just sitting they're just sitting uh at a cafe on the ocean uh, sipping coffee and re reading the newspaper to each other, and it was just a really calm, uh, vivid, vivid picture in my mind. And it, and of, of course, that's where I drew inspiration from, and I drew it from the the name of the the story, not the point in the story from which uh, the information came from. And sure. I, and I really like the idea of. This 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 false expectation, basically, that that is created by having a tune called "Mad Eating Cats," especially if you listen to the whole record and it's kind of on there late, and you hear that kind of the tune. Some of the tunes are kind of out there, and and you know, I'm scronking along, and suddenly "Mad Eating Cats." What is this going to be? And it's the most lyrical. On the, <laughs> it's like the ballad on the record. Like, ha ha ha! ha I fooled That's you. Right. Confound all your expectations. Can you talk? Uh, I want to make sure we don't forget to mention who's on the record with you. The really fine players who are on this album. Sure. Um, the band is comprised of four people. There's myself on trumpet, 
Wonderful. Uh, but also, the most important uh, people on the record are the other three people. <laughs> There's Lindsay <laughs> Wellman on the alto saxophone, uh, Micah Sudri on the drums, and Joel Kerr on the double bass. And these are people that uh, I look up to a lot, whose music has really helped me become who I who I am as a musician in the last couple of years. Um, and they are the people who the music on this record was specifically written for. It's not like, this isn't a pickup band. It's like, it has to be these people. In fact, uh, the bass player, Joel, is going out on a cruise ship for three months starting in a couple weeks. And so the band has to go on hiatus because I just, I can't imagine it otherwise right now. So I'll pick up other projects. Uh, Lindsay Wellman is a great alto saxophone player from who lives in Ottawa. I think he's from Ottawa. And he's really interested in solo saxophone playing and he and I run a conf um, a concert series in Ottawa called the Improvising Musicians of Ottawa slash Udaway. You could look it up at improvisedmoo.com if you're touring through Ottawa. We host uh, a lot of out-of-towners. Um, and we've you know, we met uh, two and a half years ago and, you know, really hit it off and now he's one of my, you know, closest pals and he, he can do a lot more on on the saxophone than I can do on the trumpet, as most saxophone players can. But what's <laughs> interesting about it is it's always forced me to kind of grow, even even with my own band. It's suddenly he was doing stuff that I couldn't keep up with. So in the course of about a, uh, two years of working together, it's like I've really learned to keep up with him in 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 some sort of way. Mike mm. um, Sudri is a, a fairly established drummer in Ottawa and in, in Canada, and he's led a variety of projects, including this eight-piece octet that has a really great record out just under the name the Micah Sudri Octet. And he also leads this parade band called the Micah Sudri's Mashed Potato Mashers, which is a nine-piece, you know, two trumpets, two trombones, two saxophones, two drummers, and sousaphone that plays all his original music and tours around. And it's super fun. And Joel Kerr is... I mean, he's on, like, everything right now. He's He lives in Montreal, and he's probably the finest bass player I've ever heard or ever known. And he's a super great musician, and he's super versatile. We did this recording together. He plays with this experimental trio that tours a lot. He plays soul music. We just recorded a duo record of old country tunes in kind of arranged in, in freer, freer ways. He's great at bowing because he has a history of classical. Like he's got it all, and and I've never met anybody who has so many different ways of like uh, starting and ending notes on the bass. He has so many different fields. It's really wonderful, and that's the band. Will you say more about why these three particular musicians are so integral to this music? Sure. Um, I play, I suppose, what could be called avant-garde jazz music, if we want to boil it down to something. And it is a real challenge to find other people who are into the music as deeply as I am and who have experience with it. So well, I might not have been the greatest trumpet player, the greatest musician for a long time. I was always getting deeper and deeper and deeper into the music. And so when I started this band, I didn't, I basically didn't want to have to train anybody to play in, in the style of music that I was interested in, in hearing um, and playing myself. And so I chose people who had a really great understanding of, of, the history of, of free jazz and avant-garde jazz and, and contemporary jazz and and that listen to it on their own time and would make it on their own time if if um if it weren't for me anyways and so that was really important and they all bring something really interesting like Lindsay plays in in world music groups on flute like he plays in a gamelan and he plays saxophone and flute um, in a calypso band and in this kind of Indian fusion band 
uh, Mike plays a lot of second line these days and contemporary, like straight ahead contemporary jazz. And Joel has a history of classical music and, like I said, uh, a bunch of kind of like soul and country and all that stuff. But all of them are interested in avant-garde music as well. So it's like we just all bring everything we have together and hope something great turns out. Can you talk more about the uh, about IMU, the Improvising Musicians of Ottawa, and what the I guess what the improvised music scene is like um, in Ottawa? Well, the improvised music scene in Ottawa has existed long before I arrived in town, which was, <laughs> I, I got to, to Ottawa about five years ago. And it existed, but as most of the improvising musicians in town would, would say, is that the scene was really fragmented. Mm. There were a couple venues that people played at, but there were, there was nothing that was partic- particularly focused, and that was my main complaint as well. And the one venue that people were playing, I really didn't like. It's like people either never came or there was really loud music in between the sets. So, and sometimes the the club next door would have like loud drum and bass going the whole time anyways. And now and again the owner you know, would tell the band to stop playing if it was too weird. So it's like, <laughs> you know, it's happened. Uh, but I'd played there a bunch of times, and and Lindsay and I realized that, you know, there were a lot of interesting musicians, and there was a, we needed, you know, a space to do something. And so we put together a business proposal um, and proposed to one cafe. It's where we started with a list of others, and fortunately the first cafe was into it and so we started hosting concerts every other Sunday the first and third Sunday of the month and that went and has gone on for about a year and a half with about 43 concerts and so the scene is really cool there I can't really speak largely to the rest of the scene in Ottawa because I'm not highly involved right now but you know, people come out. We don't get a lot of people, but we get 15 to 20 people to see people improvise almost consistently every week. And we have out-of-towners now that are trying to contact us. I just got a... Like, I was just... Got an email from the guy doing the booking for Mostly Other People Do the Killing, which may or may not end up being a show, but it's really cool that they contacted us. Yeah. Because now we're getting to be the, the people that they want to contact for these types of music. You know, they can contact the jazz festival if they want something straight ahead, but if they're doing a self-planned tour, you know, we have some out-of-town and some great uh, Montreal musicians and some great Toronto musicians have been through. We had a great guitar player from Oslo named Kim Meir came through. Um, And we had some New Yorkers. uh, Jason Mears came down, came up, I I should say, and some other some other folks as well, and so the scene is small and growing, and but it's pretty vibrant, and we're kind of growing beyond being a two or three person operation. Right now, we're a three person operation. We need vol- like we need more people now because we have so much going on. We've started an orchestra under the direction of a great Canadian improviser and percussionist named um Jesse Stewart who's worked with William Parker and Pauline Oliveros and and is trying to bring up John Butcher to work with the orchestra like like the scene is small but it's it's starting to happen and it just takes time and work and you know we're generating revenue for the community too which is cool <laughs> there's an identifiable uh, uh, flavor or musical characteristic to the improvised music that you're involved with in Ottawa that separates it from other cities, other scenes? Yeah. 
You know, there's a couple of people in Ottawa that are really big Braxton heads, like they're really into Braxton, and a couple of people that are really into Ornette. But what I will say, um, that I find, for instance, that the music in in Montreal is characterized by being really far out and not necessarily always having a relatable, uh, an, an immediately re- relatable kind of uh, point, something to grasp onto. Mm. But at the same time, is highly creative and really virtuosic and really virtuosic and very interesting. Like uh, I don't say that to, to to negate how awesome the the improvised music scene in Montreal is. By comparison, I wouldn't say that the improvised music is conservative in Ottawa, but I would say that that a lot of it deals a little bit more with melody, uh, a little bit more with with kind of like strong narrative arcs and things like that. Um, there's a couple of players that who I think up very highly. Uh, this one drummer named Rory McGill, who who had um, a huge band that was dedicated to to it was called Rake Star, and it was a it was a Sun Ra tribute project, and everybody you know in town who played free for was in that band when it was around. But he's a really interesting musician because. He doesn't play drums like other other drummers, but he's probably the most musical guy I, I know. He just moves things around in really interesting ways, and and I think that so so we have a, a handful of people that are really into playing nothing but extended techniques and sounds, and then a handful of other people that are that are into kind of um, mixing that with with things that are a little bit more evidently listenable. It's it's hard to say because we have such a, a, a large variety of, of people that, that come through the series. Can you talk about uh, the other projects that you're involved with these days? Sure. Uh, what am I involved with these days? Well, I play with a folk rock band called the, the Dry River Caravan that plays like Klezmery, Balkan, Balkan-inspired Canadian folk rock. <laughs> Uh, and and I and I really say you know Canadian folk rock because Canadian folk music is kind of a little bit different than than American folk music and 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 European folk music as well. You know, it's it's uh, a lot of it is really like singer songwritey, but this band in particular is like accordion and and clarinet and trumpet and bazooki double bass and drums and what's cool about it is for me the reason I'm in this band is because it challenges me because he keeps writing new tunes on the accordion and and songs that he sings as well really complex arrangements uh, but you know he teaches them to to us by either just playing them on the accordion or or you know he plays it on the accordion and I plus press record on my my telephone and get it or something and so it's like every week there's something new and challenging and it's like i can fall behind very easily um uh the other band that i play with that's plays a lot is called micah suitors mashed potato mashers which i talked about which is another kind of balkan inspired band but it's a parade band um we march around and we wear red and it's kind of like balkan mixed with free jazz and and uh second line stuff and it's totally fun and we all party and drink too much and mike gets <laughs> mad at us and you know we it'll you know routinely i'll just like run into the crowd and start dancing and playing and people do that because it's fun and it's a ton of of great fun and we've played a bunch of places we played at the guelph jazz festival which is the big uh free jazz festival in canada one of the big uh free jazz festivals in Canada. So that that's another band that I play with. It's really cool and it's kind of straight ahead and it's all memorized as well because we're marching and there's these really hard tunes. And so you know there's 20 tunes in that book. Um and then I'm, I like I said I just finished this kind of duo record of of country music songs. So that's that's another project that I do that's a lot of fun. It's new and we're trying to do something that Again, that's off chart. No, no music, 
And where did the idea there. for that record come from? Joel and I just were talking, and we both kind of been listening to country music. And so, what are some examples of songs that you? Ah, uh, uh, we on this do record? like Wildwood Flower, which is an old Carter family tune, and we do Love Me Tender, which is you know Elvis, <laughs> but also Willie Nelson's Crazy. Those are the three like country hits that we do. Sure. Um, and then we do this other old Tex Ritter tune called Blood on the Saddle. That's really great. Everybody wow. should go YouTube Blood <laughs> on the Saddle. That's a great right title. Yeah. yeah, it's really something else. And it becomes really evident if you listen to that track, what needs to be done to loosen it up and play it in an in- instrument. It's like so obvious <laughs> when you listen to it. Um, and then actually I went to like one of these shops that just has the kind of old sheet music in it. And I found this one called like Three Cowboy Tunes. And it was really funny because it's three traditional tunes, including Get Along, uh, Little Dogies. But what's cool about it is that it was already arranged in two parts. It was like a really like a piano piece for beginners or something. Uh, and so we, we just actually took it verbatim. And it's <laughs> really it just kind of arranged the textures. And it's, you know, that's a minute and a half long. Uh, all of the, like, it's very good. Uh, and then the other thing is I do a lot of solo playing. You know, I'm, I'm going out on tour in March to tour this piece by a Canadian composer named Taylor Brooke, which is a 40 minute piece for, 45 minute piece for, uh, improvising trumpeter and electronics and offstage instruments. And so I'm going to be touring up a little bit of, uh, Eastern Canada with that. I think that's all I'm doing right now. And, you know, I play in some straight ahead jazz stuff now and again too. I mean, it sounds like you it sounds like you're active in a really wide array of different musical styles, which sounds like an exciting way to be a trumpeter. Yeah. It totally <laughs> is an interesting way to be a a trumpeter. I just can't I don't know, there's not enough work. You know, to do only one thing. And maybe I don't have the attention span to really only want to play one type of music all the time. But it's all like, it's it all references everything else. Like the Potato Mashers helps with the folk band, which somehow helps with my writing because I'm getting kind of these twisty lines down. And then, you know, the solo playing helps with my my quartet and the quartet obviously helps with the solo playing. I just, because I just take the same ideas and expand them into into a solo context. So, yeah, that's the way that works. I know that you also teach. Can you talk about that? Sure. I've got a, you know, a studio of maybe eight to ten students, and I just teach trumpet <laughs> and music, and I have students that are interested in, you know, being orchestral trumpet players because I have a history of that, um, and I also play classical. Like, I, I play in church gigs and all that, orchestras, when I get called. Um and some students that are really into jazz, and I have some older students, uh, some in their 30s. I have two guys in their 60s, one guy who's in his 60s that just started this year, and it's cool. I have one, I had one student who just moved out of town who was really cool because he was more into like improvised music and free jazz than I was, so he'd come with a stack of records, and then we'd talk about them. It was like, why are you paying me for a trumpet lesson? It's like, yeah, I should be paying you for a music lesson. You know, and so it's really cool. It's an important part of my life to teach. So, uh, Can you talk about why you've chosen Ottawa as the place to kind of make your sure. stand? Sure. Uh, 
Well, when I started, there's a bunch of reasons, you know. Uh, when I moved there to do my masters, I immediately kind of tried to get out playing in in the community rather than rather than just kind of stay at the school. Like mm. I immediately tried to get students in town and play in all the bands I could and and kind of establish myself. So after two years of doing that. When I left school in in Ottawa, I would have already kind of set up my my career in town a bit. Like I wouldn't have to be starting because it takes three years. You know, it takes three years in in Ottawa or maybe other cities probably at least three years to establish yourself and be able to start making money and making your living. And so that was one thing. Um, my partner Renee is there. Uh, I met her there. That's important. Uh, that's one of the reasons I'm in town. Although we both talk about leaving all the time, you know, <laughs> really. Um, and I like it there. Like I've got this concert series, which is slowly getting more and more awesome. Like it's just getting out of control. It's like it's not. It's too much work for three people now, which, which is crazy. I just like I just keep getting blown away by, by how cool that is, and you know. I play a lot of music, but I also have the freedom and flexibility to take a break. The only thing that I I don't like in Ottawa is it's like for nearly everything you have to be a self-starter. Mm. And there's not always something to go see that's like going to blow you away, which I find I find I found in Montreal when I lived in Montreal it's like at least once a week if I really looked, I could find something that would blow me away. And that's not the case in Ottawa all the time, but I travel and I have good friends there and I have good friends in other cities and I don't know. I I kind of, you know, I'm settled there. You know what the other thing is? I I rent a house in Ottawa. It's like I live in a house. <laughs> With a yard, you know, and and three full size rooms that like and, and a huge living room, and it has a washer and dryer. I mean, this sounds really silly, but the quality of life for the amount of work that I that I that I do is very high. And so, you know, I can travel down to New York and get my like monthly dose or every other monthly month dose of 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 really great music and playing and lessons and things like that. Um, but the quality of life I have in Ottawa is really, really high, and I just can't... I find that hard to argue with because I also seem to have unlimited creativity. Like, nobody's stopping me from doing anything there. Can you talk about why you are here in New York right now? Yeah, sure. I'm the recipient <laughs> of a Canada Council grant to study here. Um, we have a great granting body called the Canada Council for the Arts in Canada. Canada, Canada. <laughs> and, and you know, it supports Canadian artists uh, in a variety of genres. I mean, there's there's da a dance section and a music section and a theater section and a writing section and, and a multidisciplinary section and things like that. And basically, I wrote a grant to come study with two teachers in town. One is a uh, uh, Lori Frank and the other is John McNeil and they're both really great and in the course of the last mm, three months three or four months that I've been coming down regularly it's just been really really great like it's changed everything how so uh, I've really grown as a musician and the the way that I conceptualize music has has greatly changed like my ideas about what I want out of music haven't haven't changed as much but because I think I, I, I have a really strong idea of what I'm interested in. And that's not going to change because that relates to where I am kind of in my life and what goes on around me. But um, what what is changing is like the details. My trumpet playing is way better than it ever was, has been because Lori is just she's like the, the chop magician. Tell people who she is. Who uh, Lori Frank is amazing. She's the coolest lady in New York. No, uh... She's she teaches um, trumpet technique, 
and she teaches at NYU and Manhattan School and the New School and at NEC. Like she just has a constant stream of students and she teaches, like I said, trumpet technique and she just gives like a a list of really kind of weird physical exercises to do that often seem unrelated and then you do them for a month and suddenly at the end of that month something gives like in your in your brain or your body or like in your in your face i don't know and something changes and suddenly you play better it's the, like it just doesn't make sense and i was just talking to Nate Woolley uh who's another he's like a super fine improvising trumpet player um i i went to go see him on wednesday and he said the same thing you know he he had a really you know messed up system of playing before he went to go see her and went to go see her and in the course of six months you know she changed his playing in a way that that like myself way for the better in a really non-invasive way it wasn't like uh i had to stop playing it's not like i had to do some sort of change that that you know changed my whole physical approach it was just so like gradual and natural and you know and suddenly it's like i can I kind of don't know. I just don't have the same problems. <laughs> and so, what what can you do now, or what are you not dealing with? What are you not having to deal with that you were before? Oh, I don't know. I'm just I can play long. The big thing is endurance. Mm. I can play longer with a better sound, more in tune throughout the lows to the highs of the instrument. I mean, that's basically it. Um, it's I I'm just a better. I'm better at making sounds on the instrument, and I can do it longer. I just have more control. Yeah, uh, so that's it. Really. And was that your when you applied for this grant for the part of it that dealt with Lori? Is that how you you said I want to work on the yeah? The actual basically, of basically, I had taken a lesson with her uh, a year and a half ago, and then worked on what she gave me like every day for six months, and was and really wanted the next step, but also saw how much it impacted my playing, and so I said. I basically said, you know, this is what she does. Here's who she's she, who she has taught because she's taught like a handful of important Canadian trumpet players, you know. Who's who, here's who she's taught, you know. Here's who she's played with, you know. She plays in the Maria Schneider's big band. She played in Benny Goodman's band. Like she's played. She and she's like a first call session. She was on the last two John Hollenbeck uh, big band records uh, large ensemble records like like she's really killer <laughs> and and she her teaching comes from a lineage of a man named Carmine Caruso who really changed the face of trumpet playing in New York and the rest of the world as well and i really strongly believe that that Carmine and and Lori um Lori who's taking on kind of his leg Carmine's legacy um you know have significantly impacted the the way that people play trumpet uh, mm. especially i i swear that half the reason why trumpet players in new york are so good are are you know has to do with them that's i mean that's what i think and and so i just wrote that into the grant and said this is what i've learned and here's where i need to go Uh, similarly, tell folks who John McNeil is and why you wanted to study with him. Yeah, John's really cool. He's the most cool. Um, uh, I had, again, a lesson with John about a year and a half ago, same time I came down to New York to study with Lori before. 
And 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 Laurie and John co wrote this book called Flexus, which is like a trumpet technique book. And John also wrote this book um, called The Art of Jazz Trumpet or something, which is like on it's like a Hal Leonard book, which is really interesting. Um, and so kind of I knew his name from there, and I'd heard a couple of recordings, and I knew that he was a guy that kind of liked to walk the line between kind of. Uh, totally out there improvised music and totally in like like uh post bop like like really whatever like really great and really great bebop as well and so i came down to study with him and he's like he's given me everything he's given me uh, an avenue to to kind of really understand bebop clearly it's it's weird it's just like coming to the source it's like i've been to other lessons i've read books and it's like i go to a lesson i went to a lesson with him and he presented information that i just never heard before yet seemed to be like the missing puzzle pieces and it was so simple and it just came down to you know you need to do this and then once you can do this i can teach you this other thing and it's like I played one tune with him, like two choruses of a tune in my first lesson, and he had so clearly diagnosed what it was that I needed to become, you know, a better jazz jazz improviser. And so, you know, I just go see him because uh, it's just changed my playing. It's changed my, like, my inside jazz playing for the, for, like, like I've never played so strongly in my life that kind of like bebop basically it's like i can play bebop now and i could never do that before <laughs> and and but at the same time it's like he he gives me stuff like he gives me stuff to work on for kind of uh just free playing as well and so it's a really strong balance and he's really cool i just go to his place in brooklyn and we just drink a lot of coffee and hang out and he tells me hilarious stories, and you know it's really good. And he teaches at New England Conservatory and has for many years. And he also played like uh, he played in the Vanguard band for a while, uh, when it was like the the Thad Jones Mel Lewis band. Like he played in that band. He played with Horace Silver, uh, and he used to play with like Liebman and you know just the guys. You know he was part of that gang for a really long time, and so. It's just like getting information from the source. It's like he'll tell me stories, he'll or he'll give me you know little nuggets that Woody Shaw told him, or he was telling me a story that that Dexter told him. You know, it's like it's just getting information from the source uh, about how how the music works. It's really cool. My guest is trumpeter Craig Peterson. He and his quartet have a new record called Days Like Today, which I highly recommend. And it's been such a pleasure to talk to you about the music. Thanks for taking the time to do it. It's been a pleasure to be here. Thanks, Jason.
That's music from Craig Peterson and his CD, Days Like Today. I'm Jason Crane. This is the Jazz Session, sponsored by Matt Rock, Monat Verdi, and Nicholas Payton. Please do become a member. I think that's the basic message I'm trying to get out in this post-show conversation here. Uh, by the way, each week I say, at the beginning and end, sponsored by X, X, and X. And the reason is because those three people became members of this show at the top level. Now, you can do that, too. You just go to thejazzsession.com slash join, and there are a bunch of different levels. There are three levels where you can pay monthly and three where you can pay in one lump sum per year. And if you pay at either the $50 a month level or the $500 a year level, which is an enormous help to me, if you're a person for whom that would not be that big a deal, it is a huge deal to me. Trust me. (laughs) A huge deal. So if you're the kind of person who could think, you know, I could invest $500 to keep a show like this on the air, or I could pay 50 bucks a month to keep a show like this on the air, if it's, if it's that level of decision for you, it is not that level of benefit to me. It is much more significant. So uh, I encourage you, if it's something you can afford, please do that. But really, any level of membership is fantastic, and uh, you'll see that they start as low as $10 a month, which is also awesome. And then, once you've settled that whole, you know, thing with the becoming a member and getting yourself right with the jazz gods, please, please, I urge you, go out and support live jazz whenever and wherever you can, and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the Jazz Session. Bye. Bye. Bye.